Have you heard about the new handicapping and betting app that is sweeping the nation? It's called First Bet, and it puts the power of AI-assisted handicapping, seamless wagering, and live HD video in the palm of your hand. Thousands of bettors have already made First Bet their way to handicap, bet, and watch more than 300 of the world's top tracks. Isn't it time for you to join them? And when you give First Bet a try today, you can cash in on a huge welcome bonus. Sign up with promo code Sport of Kings, all one word, and you will get $10 just for joining as well as a 10% rebate, up to $500 for your first 30 days. With that much free cash on the line, what do you have to lose? Get started at first.com slash bet. That's number one, st.com slash bet. And don't forget promo code Sport of Kings when you sign up. And if you already have an ExpressBet account, you're way ahead of the game. Simply log into FirstBet using your username and password, and you're off to the races. Up to 18 years or older and 21 years old in certain states to open an account with FirstBet and reside in the state where such activity is legal, void to prohibit National Gambling Support Line 800-522-4700. Muckleshoot Casino is your destination for more than 3,000 gaming machines, action-packed table games, and the largest smoke-free area in the state, plus a newly remodeled casino floor and new center bar. Use your player's club card to earn points for free play, meals, or cash back. Muckleshoot Casino, the biggest and best in the Northwest. Visit us online to learn more about our safety measures. Dutton comes off the turn in front. It's Dutton to lead the way, but closing quickly along the outside. Coastal Kid is now taken over, and there goes Coastal Kid. Dutton fights back bravely. Coastal Kid is bolted. Coastal Kid is bolted midway down the stretch, and Dutton's going to go on and win the Gutstein in an unlikely stretch run. Dutton takes the 2020 Gutstein Futurity. A sensational three-year-old goes three for three at the meeting. Couple of stakes wins. And that earned him the top honor at Emerald Downs for 2020. This is Horse Racing Northwest. Joe Withy, Vince Brune, Cy Labar on production. And Vince Dutton gets the top honor for 2020. He does. And, of course, uh, being the horse of the meet, he's also the top Washington bred. It was a tough one this year, Joe. We had three horses with very similar credentials. A little less talk, who was the champ older fillier. Merritt, unmatchable, our champion three-year-old. And Dutton all had three wins, including two stakes wins and an allowance win. Maybe the fact that Dutton was the only three who was unbeaten of those also led the meet and earnings. A couple factors in his favor, but any one of those three I could have lived with, Joe. Boy, no kidding. Those were three uh, real similar credentials. But I went with uh, just the criteria you mentioned there. He did not lose a race. He won the Gottstein. It was an eventful stretch run, as we know. And uh, top prize offered at the meeting, the Gottstein Futurity, goes to the son of Nucido, trained by Howard Belvoir, owned by Rising Star, and ridden by Jennifer Whitaker. Great juvenile season for Dutton. Uh, track president Phil Ziegler will be joining us on Horse Racing Northwest today, as will John Lindley of Parker's, top Northwest handicapper. We'll have hear what John has to say about Dutton and his maybe comparison to some other outstanding juveniles we've seen at Emerald Down. So, June 24th to October 29th, a 38-day meet at Emerald Downs happened. Track president Phil Ziegler will join us, as I mentioned, and talk about the meet that was... Uh, and a little bit of question back there around April 15th, our uh, originally scheduled opening day, Vince. Yeah, and uh, everything turned out, I mean, about as well as we could have expected. You yeah. know, we had uh, no COVID positives, which is great news in 2020. And we had safe racing on the racetrack and uh, yeah. averaged about 7.4 horses per race. Uh, which was up 9% from the previous year. That's always a great stat to be up in, in uh, average horses per race. You bet. And the fact, you know, we were talking earlier today that uh, in the thoroughbred races, we had three-quarter horse races, 34.7% favor its winning is uh, a competitive number joe it's uh, usually around 33 percent nationally um but when we've had smaller field size in some of the latter years 
um, it's been a little higher than 34.7. So that was a really good sign this year. Really tough racing and uh, a lot of huge payoffs, including 44 grand in the pick five on closing day. Yeah, you mentioned we might have a big pick, five, big payoff on our closing day, uh, Thursday, October 29th. And we did with field size averaging about eight and a half horses per race. And yeah, the pick five got off to a 22 to one start with Jerry to carry. And Vince, that mare now has won here in six consecutive seasons, 2015 to 20. Her form wasn't uh, awesome, but uh, Jesse Velasquez, you mentioned, uh, you put a little bet on her because uh, Jesse's barn has been going well, and he, and he he's keeps putting her out there in a race that, you know, maybe form doesn't look good, but he's and it, confident. And it was a little drop in class this time, yeah. and it hadn't been with the stable mate stay in grace, so... It was just kind of a hunch that that horse was going to fire at, at some point because when they come from a competent barn like that, Joe, usually there's, you know, at some point they do fire or else they drop radically in price. So that was an interesting one. And uh, yeah, tough handicapping, like you said, throughout uh, closing week, we had 22 races and only five winning favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of sec I think it was six second favorites. Odds on favorites didn't do well toward the end, end up, ended up, uh, just over 50%. I think it was 39 out of 77 odds on favorites won for the meeting. Um, also winning closing day was Oh Marvelous Me. And he stretched his streak to five consecutive years, 2016 through 2020. He has won a race and he got pretty much the same setup for his last couple of starts. A really fast pace. This time, though, uh, Papa's Golden Boy was out on an uncontested pace, but uh, went a little too fast probably. Well, yeah, Oh Marvelous Me got a 78 buyer. Mm. He's still hitting pretty hard. He had a win at Santa Anita earlier in the year, finishes with two really nice wins here. Wind Ribbon from the same barn, Blaine Wright, hitting hard all season with a uh, pretty good second in there, too. Yeah, right. He was only beating a length. Wind Ribbon was uh, a fast horse, and he's learned to come from just a little bit off the pace himself, so... Uh, he could have a really bright sprinting future. So it's Horse Racing Northwest after the season. We started back in June, and thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll have some trivia, some stats, some selections. It's Breeders' Cup week in the world of horse racing. John Lindley will give us a little Breeders' Cup angle. We might have a pick or so ourselves. And the Breeders' Cup this Friday and Saturday at Keeneland. You can catch the action here at Emerald Downs or at firstbet.com. You can get your wagers down. Uh, and we're opening real early. We're opening before 7 a.m. at the track on Friday. Uh, the first race at Keeneland is 7.15 our time. So uh, we'll be opening up real early Friday. And I don't have the official time Saturday, but it's going to be early as well, as that is the big day for the Breeders' Cup. And uh, looking forward to that classic. Looks really contentious. We also have a Washington bred in the Breeders' Cup this year. Bodenheimer. Uh, I believe is eight to one on the morning line in yes. the juvenile turf sprint drew the 10 post. And originally that was concerning. So I looked at uh, Keeneland, I think in the last five years, the number 10 post is about 14% there in five and a half furlong turf sprints. And they do run quite a few of those there. So it doesn't seem to be insurmountable to be out there. And certainly with the speed he's got, you should be able to uh, get some position early. Bodenheimer is by Attaboy Roy out of Beautiful Danielle by AP Indy, trained by Valerie Lund, owned by Valerie's mother, Mary Lou Holden, and her sister, Kristen Boyce. And he's won three out of four starts. His only loss was at the Kentucky Downs in a really soft track, which uh, Valerie says, hey, you can pretty much uh, discount that race his feet were really going into the ground and as she mentioned uh, Kentucky Downs did not race the next day the track was so wet he came off that and won the Indian summer at Keeneland on October 4th at five and a half furlongs on the Keeneland turf course he's got outstanding speed the eight to five favorite in there is Golden Pal post 14 from Wesley Ward a son of Uncle Mo who just went wire to wire in a Stake at Saratoga. Well, that's his most recent start. Oct uh, excuse me, August 21st at Saratoga in the Skidmore, as he won by three and a half and got a big buyer speed figure of 92. So, I'm thinking Podenheimer can go pretty hard for five and a half furlongs, Vince. I'm optimistic there. 
I am too. I haven't done my research yet on the European shippers when there are some of those and sometimes those can be pretty classy and it's pretty hard to compare sometimes when they're going into American racing for the first time, but certainly they usually have to be respected. But yeah, Bodenheimer, 8-1 to one on the line, that tells you he's in with a fighting chance. Yeah, it looks like there's a four, three European shippers and also Golden Pal, the Wesley Ward trainee, the 8-5 to five morning line favorite, did go over to Royal Ascot in June and was second of 12 in the Norfolk stakes there. So he shipped and ran pretty well over in England. And then there are three other uh, European shippers. So Bodenheimer, Washington bred. That'll be the sixth race on Friday. The $1 million Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. And it'll go at 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. A big route for the son of Attaboy Roy, who is the most recent Washington bred to run in the Breeders' Cup. Back in the 2010 sprint, he was fourth favorite in that big field, as you remember. I do remember that. And I think he was inside that day and didn't really run his race that day, which was a bit unfortunate. But he... <laughs> Certainly one of the fastest horses in Washington history. And as we mentioned, Val Lund just has a knack for yeah. uh, those Attaboy Roys. She conditioned the uh, the uh, father of uh, Bodenheimer and now Bodenheimer himself. And it uh, looks like he's coming in the race fine. So that will be pretty exciting. Oh, that's, that's great stuff. Yeah. Oh, a win at the distance on the course recently for Bodenheimer. He's won at three different tracks, three for four lifetimes. So a uh, big route there on Breeders' Cup Friday in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. If he wins, it'll be the biggest purse that a Washington-bred horse has ever won. And it's right around 550000 in those $1 million races uh, at the Breeders' Cup. The record is uh, currently held by Rings of Chime, who made 341000 by winning the Ashland at Keeneland for three-year-old fillies back in the year 2000. And uh, if he wins another thing, uh, he's not going to be all that far off Saratoga Passage's uh, Washington-bred career mark of 800,000. Saratoga Passage last raced in 1990, so he's held that record for 30 years. Yeah, so uh, uh, a lot of records could fall if he continues to keep running, especially Boy. next year as a, a three-year-old. And uh, you know, just to, if even if he hits the board, it would be a, a wonderful achievement on uh, on Friday. I'm not saying he can't win, but you got to remember that's those are world class horses he's up against. So fourteen of them. This is the kind of race you whatever you got, you empty the tank. You know, that's every, right. everyone is trained up to uh, as good as they're going to be for this particular day, and everyone's sharp. That's one of the reasons I love the Breeders' Cup. Whatever horse has, you're going to see. And also, uh, Washington owners involved this year. Collusion Illusion, the three-year-old outstanding West Coast-based sprinter in the barn of Mark Glatt. Uh, Collusion Illusion's in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. He's owned in part by Jerry Schneider, Dr. Rodney Orr, and Dan Agnew. So uh, that race will be the 8th on Saturday, about 11.30 in the morning uh, Pacific time. Collusion Illusion. So, uh, hey, that's a little Breeders' Cup talk. It is this Friday and Saturday. A uh, couple of tidbits more from the meeting. Check out the news and notes at emeralddowns.com. Vince has updated those with final stats for 2020, and those are really comprehensive. News and notes at emeralddowns.com. Just uh, click on in the... Uh, what do you call it? You do the uh, media section. or what is yeah, it? What's the click there? You go to... I, uh, I can find it. Uh, go to news and, notes news and notes under racing, yeah, and you'll be under racing. You'll get correct. a directory there, um, drop down, and it's real easy to find. Um, did you want me to give the weekly honors or final ones for the week? Yeah, no? why don't you go ahead and do that? Yeah, you mentioned Alex Cruz wrapped up a wonderful first season here with uh, 72 wins, seven wins closing week, 25 straight winning days to cap the season, yeah. and so uh, hopefully he'd be here next year. He can take a run at that record of 30 by Kevin Radke. Alex Cruz, Jockey of the Week. Um, Satchel Stevens, nephew of Gary Stevens, a double for the week. He is our trainer of the week. Lisa Bays, who owns uh, Jerry DeCary, is our owner of the week, capping a sensational season for that barn, Jesse Velasquez, and... Uh, Wabred of the week, spot on. Boy, how good was she this year, Joe? Four starts, three wins, and a second. Uh, bred by uh, Rick and Debbie Pabst. And uh, they will be glued to their TV set on Friday watching 
Bodenheimer, I'm sure. Most definitely. Uh, in fact, Debbie Paps, Debbie and Rick Past own that dam now, beautiful Danielle, who is in full to more spirit, who was an outstanding miler. So uh, Debbie said that she is going to breed beautiful Danielle back to Attaboy Roy, which uh, could be interesting because that's the Bodenheimer connection right there. Alex Cruz, hey, by winning that last race on closing day, maybe a diva in that maiden race, six to one, seven length winner, Cruz aboard, maybe a diva. That put him over 20%. He was the only Emerald Downs jockey to win at 20%. It was real competitive this year. Cruz did pull away in the last few weeks to win comfortably in the jockey standings, but uh, Leslie Mawing just missed 20%. But Cruz, uh, another feather in his cap, uh, five bagger on closing day. So that was really nice. Um, Baja Sur on the Washington bread front, he won, uh, uh, what was that race called? The L... Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue, okay. but, but it was at Del Mar, yeah, and he won easily. So uh, congratulations to the connections there. Blaine Wright and uh, owners Jerry Schneider and John Mariansky and Janine Mariansky. And you and I have been talking, Joe, that horse was kind of sitting on a win this year. He had yep. done a lot of the heavy lifting in some of his races and uh, got the breakthrough win. He is one nice sprinter. And I... I, I I think he can do anything. I mean, I, he ran great on dirt. You know, I don't think he's ever routed yet, but they talked about that too. He's just that kind of a horse, Joe. He's just super talented. Yeah, he's the reigning Washington horse of the year, and uh, he's number two in earnings among Washington breads now behind Bodenheimer. 90720 for Baja Sur, uh, and uh, yeah, he could have another start before the end of the year. Coming off a great win Sunday at Golden Gate Fields, of course, in his Emerald Downs career, he's undefeated. Two wins at two and two wins last year as a three-year-old Baja Sur winner. And, uh, hey, it's about time to go to Phil Ziegler. Uh, we'll have more stuff between Phil and John Lindley's uh, guest appearances here on Horse Racing Northwest. We'll be back in a moment with track president Phil Ziegler. Have you heard about the new handicapping and betting app that is sweeping the nation? It's called First Bet, and it puts the power of AI-assisted handicapping, seamless wagering, and live HD video in the palm of your hand. Thousands of bettors have already made First Bet their way to handicap, bet, and watch more than 300 of the world's top tracks. Isn't it time for you to join them? And when you give First Bet a try today, you can cash in on a huge welcome bonus. Sign up with promo code SPORTOFKINGS, all one word, and you will get $10 just for joining, as well as a 10% rebate, up to $500 for your first. 30 days with that much free cash on the line what do you have to lose get started at first.com slash bet that's number one st.com slash bet and don't forget promo code sport of kings when you sign up and if you already have an express bet account you're way ahead of the game simply log into first bet using your username and password and you're off to the races up to 18 years or older and 21 years old in certain states to open an account with first bet and reside in the state where such activity is legal void to prohibit national gambling support line 800-522-4700 Horse Racing Northwest continues, and uh, the 2020 Emerald Downs meeting is one that uh, we'll all remember, those of us connected with it here at Emerald Downs and in the state of Washington. Track President Phil Ziegler, uh, he couldn't probably have predicted everything back in uh, March as things started to slow down worldwide, not just in Washington and the racing industry included, and Phil is joining us here on Horse Racing Northwest. Bill, good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Very Great, Phil. Very good. Uh, you know, we, we dodged weather pretty well in October to end with, but boy, the beginning, uh, yourself, uh, Vice President Jack Hodge, Joe Henry, our controller, top accountant, Bob Frazier, our director of operations, you guys had a lot of meetings back uh, when most of the other employees were gone, the track was very quiet there for uh, eight weeks or so. And uh, Phil, again, I'm going to say congratulations. You guys picked a couple of really good spots to race this year. It was, um, you know, the, the COVID world that we're in and the adjustments we've had to make, including this conversation right now. You guys, we're, we're not far from each other in the same building. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're on the we're on the phone with each other because yeah. we keep our uh, the social distance and the requirements in the workplace and all that. And yeah, thinking back to the days in March and um, 
we were just getting ready for race season. We're planning all the big promotions. Tickets were on sale. And usually about the time March comes around, we got a lot of folks working hard to uh, get ready for that opening day in April. And then in the span of a couple of days, if you remember, the NCAA tournament was going on. And all of a sudden they're saying no fans. And they're saying that tournaments canceled and then there was shutdowns here in the state of Washington and we had 500 horses and a bunch of people that live out in the dorm rooms in the stable area and I kind of look back and say we kind of got caught a little bit with um, all this activity here and not knowing if we were going to have a race meet but um, fortunately things worked out okay but back in those days the uh unknowing of what was going to happen was the was dominant and it was just a few of us here and trainers kept the horses healthy owners couldn't come see their own horses in the stable area we put in a lot of protocols and for folks uh in other sports you're familiar with these bubbles that they have we kind of had our own little bubble here because yeah. most of our folks were in the stable area on feb one and our racing community is um, pretty isolated in the fact that they work with the horses. Some people live here at the track, and the trainers just go home and come back to the track. Not a lot of interaction out there in other parts of the world. So we uh, we had an isolated community that was together since Feb 1, and they stayed healthy. And we put in a lot of protocols and uh, requiring masks, and owners couldn't come, and lots of things to keep this thing going until we finally got the approval to run. Yeah, and you had to, of course, follow the state protocols uh, all the way around. You were very interested in following that and uh, definitely not jeopardizing any uh, you know, infractions or uh, uh, going against state protocols to make sure that uh, we could open. You, you kind of had a target date, and I, I think we hit that target date when uh, June came around. And, and as far as state protocols, Initially, there were no state protocols. Everything was kind of shut down. And then as the corner kind of got turned towards reopening and you know, now we've seen baseball and we've seen football and we've seen basketball and hockey. But when we were trying to get open, none of those sports had restarted. Mm-hmm. We were the first and the return of professional sports in Washington. So the protocols that we were coming up with, we were developing here, and it was a group effort, and Ron Crockett helped out tremendously, and uh, Doug Moore at the Racing Commission communicating with the governor's office to get protocols approved in place and ready for us to uh, get going. And the other thing that the first draft of this reopening plan that came from the governor's office had initially put horse racing, live horse racing, in phase three of a county. Well, King County is in phase two to this day. We haven't made it to phase three. So then the challenge was, okay, how can we show the governor's office that we can do this safely in any, regardless of phase, and worked a lot of hours. A lot of folks worked on that to get that done and great communication with the folks in the governor's office that uh, were very helpful in getting that stuff turned around and approved to allow our season to finally open in uh, late June, June 24th. June 24th was opening day, and then there's the the prospect of thoroughbred racing without any fans. And uh, uh, actually, by the time we opened, other tracks were doing that. It had happened, um, but still, it just seemed uh, the first time that was ever mentioned uh, verbally uh, in public or in private in a meeting, it just seemed uh, that that can't happen, can it? But uh, I think we did the best of the situation, did we not, Phil? Well, horse racing has one distinct advantage over even other sports is the fact that people can enjoy it from the comfort of their own home and they can watch and wager from their own home. But we saw lots of folks... Um, Betting on other racetracks from throughout the country, folks that live in Washington that have their uh, uh, online accounts, which uh, is legal in much of the country. And it was a way for people to enjoy the horse racing, handicap, wager, and do everything online without having to be at the racetrack. And some of those folks are still preferring to do it from the comfort of their home under the situation we're in even now. And um, 
that's what kept the sport kind of going. It was very surreal to be here on opening night and and look up at the stands and see the empty grandstand. I can imagine in all sports that are playing in empty stadiums how weird it must feel because it certainly felt weird for us here. And we miss all our fans. We miss having them. You know, we get on a average weeknight we might get three, four thousand people. And some of our bigger days we get ten to twelve thousand people yep. here. So it was a different experience. Yeah, you had to deal with the no fans, but uh, uh, there was a little bit of precedent there before we started of tracks doing okay because of the national uh, exposures you just went through by betting on your phone or iPad or computer. And uh, so many of the other sports weren't running. We probably made a few new horse players nationally as well as uh you know, no baseball, no basketball, no hockey, and uh, some people don't mind wagering on a daily basis or so. So firstbet.com, if you want to go there and open up an account, uh, you can fund your account and do just what Phil described. You can watch and wager from your own home and, of course, uh, catch the Breeders' Cup that way this weekend if you wish. Yeah, and a portion of that money goes towards the racing industry here in Washington. So when you wager on let's say the Breeders' Cup or any track throughout the country or the world. You can bet on races from early morning to late, late at night, and bet on Australia and Great Britain and racing everywhere. And a portion of that money stays right here in Washington and contributes to the industry and the purses for the following season. That's another thing that works well. Probably the loneliest guy here this year, probably Joe, is you because <laughs> – and you're in an area where you do your pre-race show and uh, Handicapper's Corner with Tom Harris. Tom did it from the announcer's booth and the split screen, so he wasn't there. And uh, you're over by the Paddock Grill, which is a very active area when we have racing. And you're all by yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was. Uh, cameraman Zach wasn't too far by. He made his trip from his Paddock camera spot to the winter's circle and back and Cy Labar, our director, would yell at me every once in a while that I wasn't where I was supposed to be or something. But uh, <laughs> we managed to get through it. Uh, uh, yeah, but it was uh, it was a lot different uh, after uh, previous seasons at Emerald Downs. Vince? Well, you guys did a great job. And everybody in the industry, uh, the, the biggest accomplishment was we went through an entire season and really dating back to when we opened for training in February right through the end of October, and nobody related to the industry in the stable area came up with a positive COVID test. Nobody yeah. got sick. We were temperature checking every day and screening every day, and there were no reports of anybody failing that screening. Everybody stayed healthy, which um, was a great accomplishment. Our jockeys did a great job of um, working together on that and distancing and wearing their masks and following all the protocols. And our staff here, the folks that were working, and all the trainers, uh, the grooms, you can't say enough about everybody in this racing industry that together as a family got together and made this happen against um, – very great odds of pulling this off without any interruption and the fact that we were able to do that and flourish and have a really terrific race meet very entertaining race meet and some great races and we hope some folks at home really enjoyed the pleasure of watching those races on tvg or on their uh, devices on their phones or ipads yeah phil you you mentioned the great racing and you're out there you watch um, all the races or most of them you try to um, what are the couple of the highlights uh, from Phil Ziegler's perspective on what you saw on the racetrack this season well the the race that I think we're not nobody's going to forget anytime soon the Godstein Futurity uh -huh. when Dutton who was the horse of the meet was faced with a big challenge from Coastal Kid and Coastal Kid in the stretch uh, takes a right hand turn and winds up towards the outer rail, and then uh, it was Alex Cruz, I believe, was on him, straightens him out, and still finishes third, which in and of, of itself was amazing that the horse still finished third. We made it on to ESPN's Bad Beats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you had Coastal Kid at 9-2, to two, thinking you're a winner, just a race that we'll uh, remember and for its unusual finish. And, of course, the Long Acres Mile a very strange feeling seeing that race and all the prestige of that race on a Thursday under the lights 
was uh, a different kind of experience as well. But uh, we'll remember some of the special moments and just hope we don't have to deal with them again. Yeah. Uh, and field size was up this year, as we mentioned off the top. Uh, we didn't really run that many fewer races per week uh, with the 10 and 11 race cards. Uh, the course closing week was 11 and 11. We had done that before. But it was either 19, 20, 21, or 22 races a week, which, again, wasn't that much off our schedule the last several years, uh, covering Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But uh, you'd have to attribute two-year-olds being ready. June 24th helped a lot. Uh, and just plenty of time to, to get your horse fit. Of course, when we start on April 15th, some trainers say, well, I needed a week or two more to start my horse. So... We started off really strongly with field size, and uh, that continued throughout the season. That was great. And, and horse safety, we had a tremendous year for that too, Phil. Well, couldn't be uh, any better as no. far as the – we had 391 races and 2,895 horses start in those races and zero um, catastrophic injuries during the races. And that is uh, a stat that's, that's – uh, we always say one is too many, yeah. right? And the number we want is zero, and that's what we got this year. That so just, um, that's that's terrific. That is really fantastic uh, horse safety, and and uh, owners were able to come in and watch their horses run. Um, generally, we had between 25 people and maybe 40 out there on the apron, depending on how big of an ownership group. Uh, Satellite simulcasting was conducted on track level due to being open air there the last couple months. And uh, I'm sure some fans snuck a look at a live race or two as the horses. Uh, oh, no. Security made oh, them sit back down. They couldn't even watch, huh? Okay. <laughs> no. But there were plenty we, of TV monitors around yeah. anyway. But uh, no, just uh, handle, uh, handle uh, exceeded expectations. And whenever you can say that, that is a really good thing. And, of course, a lot of it was through the uh, ADWs, Advanced Deposit Wagering Companies, uh, like FirstBet.com. But, again, we get part of that revenue. And hopefully we made a, a few new fans and, and our regular fans and, and uh, uh, constant fans will be able to rejoin us at the track who love live racing. Uh, but, uh, shoot, I, I think uh, things went pretty well overall this year, didn't they? Yeah, another unusual thing happened, like as we were going through the initial setup of the season and how it would work, and TVG covers our races, and they they called us because we're running on Thursdays at 5 o'clock in the Pacific time zone, which is 8 o'clock back east, which meant we wouldn't be getting done until, well, after 9.30 our time, which is 12.30 there, and they're like, hey, our, our host leaves at eight o'clock and you guys are running till nine thirty your time and we said well you know that you guys can just take joe and tom and 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 you guys probably got more airtime. and what followed was a lot of folks on twitter and a lot of folks from back east that we started to see interacting about our later races on thursday and then also on our wednesday afternoon races as well that we picked up kind of a, a, a national fan base that we hadn't had before. Yep. And people were watching us and almost you were you were kind of like the exclusive host on TVG there for almost an hour between yourself and Tom Harris every week. So it's just the things like that that happen that you don't know are going to happen until circumstances arise and you realize, well, look, we're getting all this handle from folks all over the country and people are staying up late in New York and watching and wagering on Emerald Downs. Yeah, you know, Phil, I guess the dust hasn't even settled on 2020, but some people may be wondering, is it too early to start thinking about 2021 and our race meet uh, then? And I don't want to put you in a bad position here because no one really knows where we're headed, but uh, we're planning to go forth, right? Yeah, nobody and yeah, it's, nobody knows. You look at baseball, you look at the other sports, and some of them are trying to speculate on you want to get back into a regular cycle at some point. You want next year probably not going to be a normal season, and we are going to open up the stable area. We're planning on in March instead of in February, and then we'd start a race meet somewhere in mid-May. Uh, we haven't come up with exact dates and how many days and all that, but uh, somewhere around mid-May until maybe early September. 
and hopefully we can work out something with the track and grants passed in Oregon to maybe they can run a few weeks before we start and maybe for six weeks after we close and horsemen in the Northwest can have some additional opportunities to run their horses. All of that is just so unknown right now because we don't know what kind of protocols we're going to be under. Um, you know, the virus is the number one thing on everybody's mind these days and hopefully getting a vaccine and, and following that story closely with the state and what we're able to do. Um, but we've proven that we can, if we have to run without fans again, if that's the circumstance, we, we know what we're doing. We don't have to kind of make it up as mm. we go along. We already have a, a blueprint on how it works and how it can work and be good for the entire industry. So um, worst comes to worst, we'll we'll have to do it again that way. But we hope to have fans here next year. That would be the preference. Yeah, we'll just have to do some educating on uh, firstbet.com and other EDWs of choice. But uh, because uh, I told a lot of people about our podcast throughout the season, Phil, and uh, uh, I said, do you listen to podcasts? No, what are they? I got that, I got that answer a heck of a lot. So I had to go to their smartphone and kind of show them what to do. So we'll continue our education that way. And, yeah, uh, yeah, but weren't you one of those people when we said, hey, Joe, you could do a podcast? Didn't, didn't you say, what's a podcast? No, I wasn't no. quite there. <laughs> uh, I, I listened to quite a few different podcasts. Uh, maybe two years ago, if you said that, I, I would have been in that ballpark, but not right now. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good All with right. that one. That's one of the few technology. That's things. one of the things yeah. you do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, track president Phil Ziegler, uh, again, uh, just making uh, the very best of a, a situation, uh, unknowns, all the unknowns that presented us back in uh, February and March. And shoot, uh, yeah, we want to get our fans back, but uh, racing and keeping racing going for the breeders and the horse owners and all the jobs that are associated with this racing industry statewide uh, was so important to get a meet in. And we got a meet in that uh, was pretty darn successful. I don't think you could get too many complaints from too many horse people after uh, the circumstances that were presented. So now, Every stakeholder and every person involved in the industry uh, pitched in on this one and made it as successful as it was and you can you just can't thank some of these folks enough who um figured it out as they went along and and made it work yeah phil thank you so much and uh we'll see you around the corner in uh, yeah in a few in a minutes, minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thanks phil thank <laughs> you, you guys thanks very much to phil and vince uh we can mention a few more names that uh need to be mentioned from our 2020 race meeting. Yeah, let's rattle them off here real quick. Uh, we mentioned the horse of the meet, top Washington bred were Dutton. Top older horse, top sprinter went to Elliott Bay. A uh, little uh, special mention to Papa's Golden Boy, who didn't get an award, but he had a sensational meet and was a big factor throughout the season. Top older filly or mare, a little less talk. Top three-year-old male, unmatchable. Top three-year-old filly, Daffodil Sweet, so great in those Three early wins and a second in the Washington Oaks. Top two-year-old male, of course, is Dutton. Top two-year-old filly, time for gold with a couple great stakes. Wins top claimer, Omachi Kid. Only four-time winner. Race, race of the meeting, the Long Acres Mile. Leading jockey wins, we said Alex Cruz with 72. Leading jockey stakes wins, Juan Gutierrez, Eddie Martinez for a piece. Leading trainer, Frank Lucarelli, his seventh title, 42 wins. Also led with five stakes wins. Chad Christensen, Josh McKee, leading owners with 24 wins in 38 days. Leading horse stakes wins, a little less talk. Dutton, time for gold, unmatchable, all with two. Nick Lowe led with uh, quarter horse. He won all three quarter horse races at the meet. Top riding achievement, Juan Gutierrez becoming the number one rider here all time. Top training achievement, Luca Relli, second straight title, seventh overall. Also the leading stakes trainer. Leading apprentice was Jory Scriver. Durkin Award, Sharon Ross, Jorge Rosales. Lindy Award, Serapio Figueroa. Jockey's Valid of the Year, a new one we had this year. Taylor Brady, Exercise Rider of the Year, Stephanie Fiorito. And for the seventh straight year, leading sire in wins, harbored the gold. Ninth time in 10 years. And Joey also overtook Slew Ledoux as our number one sire here all time. That's right. Uh, he went over the 400 win mark and passed Slew Ledoux. But seven straight years, harbor the gold are all time leading sire and he had some outstanding stakes horses as well that you just mentioned elliott bay time for gold as well uh 
Hey, uh, Coastal Kid, who made that right turn in the stretch of the Gottstein while looking to be overtaking Dutton in that race, he is down at Santa Anita. Jeff Metz says he's looking for a stake race down there. I think he found one. Um, a little less talk is in Kentucky. Trainer Rodina Barrett looking for some appointments there. And, you know, that that filly will, uh, she'll give her all. We know that. Oh, boy, she has got uh, some ability and a lot of tenacity. She was tremendous again. She has a great chance to be the Washington champion, older filly or mare, as she was champion, state champion, three-year-old filly last year. Frank Lucarelli is going to end up at uh, Sam Houston after the first of the year, Vince, as you know, with uh, a lot of Chad and Josh horses. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to follow. It's tough down there. You got guys like Steve Asmussen, Carl Broberg, and they got some nice purses. And we mentioned last week that uh, Turf Paradise looks like they're going to yes. be opening after the first of the year, which is really important to our industry here in Washington because... Their purse structure is pretty similar to ours, and they run at a different time of year than we do. So it really works out for a lot of our horsemen here to have a, a Phoenix, Seattle kind of uh, uh, season. That's right. And uh, um, looks like Dutton's going to get the, the rest of the year off. Unmatchable as well. Jack McCartney, he's looking to bring him back next year. And uh, what a great addition he has been to Washington Racing in his two- and three-year-old years. Daffodil Sweet as well, uh, going to go to the farm and take the winner off. She was sensational this year, our top three-year-old filly. So, uh, and one little sidelight. We have uh, three of the tallest jockeys going in the industry. Serapio Figueroa, Alex Cruz, and Alex Anaya. Those guys are all like 5'9". And uh, they are some tall fellas yes, for sir. jockeys. <laughs> I mean, I know you've uh, had encounters with them. You bet, yeah. And Alex Cruz, yeah. You can really see it in his legs when he's in the saddle. Same with Alex Anaya. Yeah, and they all they all rode here well. Alex Anaya has really come around yep. the last couple of years. We saw Serapio Figueroa briefly here about five years ago, and he's made big strides in his career okay so uh we're going to take a time out and come back with uh, john lindley when we return this edition of horse racing northwest Muckleshoot Casino is your destination for more than 3,000 gaming machines, action-packed table games, and the largest smoke-free area in the state, plus a newly remodeled casino floor and new center bar. Use your player's club card to earn points for free play, meals, or cash back. Muckleshoot Casino, the biggest and best in the Northwest. Visit us online to learn more about our safety measures. Horse Racing Northwest post-2020 Emerald Downs meeting just concluded last week. And we caught some really nice weather in our final week. And one fellow who was here every day as a member of the media and staff, as well as John Lindley of Parkers. And John's joining us again on the podcast. John, thanks for uh, your expertise as always. And uh, hello. Hey, Vincent. Joe, how are you guys? Hi, John. Good, good to have you. Um, you know, uh, John has been uh, part of Washington Racing since the mid-80s, and uh, you had some really good weeks there, uh, the final several weeks. Uh, not that you uh, aren't consistently one of the top handicappers, especially picking those winners on top, but uh, you had several six-win days there. So nice work on Parker's, which was available online this year, John. Yeah, it's been available online, as you know, for a long, long time. But this year, because we weren't allowed fans, it was only sold online. And, you know, the last couple months of the meet, I had a pretty good handle on the horses and was able to pick uh, you know, some pretty good days just picking top choice winners like you down on the final day. So congratulations yeah. for that. Hey, and, uh, I finally caught get... on on closing day, John. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's one of those deals where you and I have done this a long, long time. And, you know, you kind of get on hot streaks sometimes and, um, there were some photo finishes that went my way too, and some speed favoring tracks. And as you know, I tend to pick a lot of speed. So, um, that kind of helped too, but it's always nice to have uh, big winning days or several winning days. And I know there was 11 races a lot of times, so six winners is decent, but, um, you know, and we'll, uh, hope to continue that when we get to the next season, which I'm hoping is May or May at the May, maybe even April. Yeah. I think we're Phil was Phil Ziegler was just on with us and he's saying, uh, uh, May is a tentative uh, uh, month to look at for our opener for 2021. John Lindley, uh, how about this two-year-old that was just named horse of the meeting, Dutton, the son of Nusito, 
uh, I was standing very close to Howard when the horse debuted. Actually, he uh, was scratched at the gate on his first try, so he didn't run in the, uh, uh, what race was that? The Emerald Express, Vince, I think it was. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, and then he came into the WTBOA lads and... Uh, John, uh, I, I saw Howard out in training. Uh, he, him and Steve Bullock stand pretty close together a lot of mornings and I know he was kind of high on this Dutton, but, uh, did you have any thoughts of him, uh, before that first race and the gates opened in the WTBOA lads? Yeah, I think as everybody noticed, I mean, he, 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 you know, the, the favorite in that race, I think was John's on point and within maybe a hundred yards, 150 yards out of the gate, you know, Dutton had opened up a oh. big lead immediately. And that's a type of, you know, brilliant speed is going to win those races, especially with two-year-olds. And he showed just all three races he ran just brilliant speed. His final figures are a little, a little slower than maybe um, we'll see, but I think he's a horse that once he gets to relax a little bit, um, he's going to be uh, super dangerous, but he's very, very talented. And we had a couple of horses this year, Papa's Golden Boy being one of them, Dutton being the other, that were able to just blister those first quarter mile and half mile and just take command of a race and then kind of coast home, at least in um, both cases in the middle of the meet. Papa's Golden Boy kind of got a little tired in his last race. But when you see that brilliant speed, it's, you know, a dominating factor. It's going to win, especially in two-year-old races, and Dutton was the one this year that was able to pull that off. Are you able to compare him in figures at all to uh, So Lucky from 2016, another Howard Belvoir uh, trainee who had a sensational juvenile year? Yeah, I think for his sprint races, Dutton's final numbers are a little slower. I, I think from a pace perspective, definitely he's as fast or even maybe faster. For example, even though it was Dutton's first race, um, at six and a half, he went 44.05 in the Philly version of that race at time for gold one. She went 45.04. So a full second quicker than the Philly race. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but a full second is really fast. And as most people know, the Phillies usually are a little more developed than the Colts when you get into July and August. And of course, time for gold finish in 115.08 in Dutton, I think was 116 and change, but he had a right to get a little tired there. And I think that's that right there tells you, you know, the potential for him to being one of the best sprinters ever at Emerald Downs if he can improve you know on that finishing that finishing is going to is definitely going to be there for his three-year-old year and we'll see if he does yeah um, hopefully yeah. hopefully he will yeah anyway sensational job you got to give Howard Belvoir some credit too Vince and John uh, Howard has really picked out at sales some outstanding horses especially in recent years I mean this is a son of Nusito who I think only bred seven mares or so and uh, they went to 30000 at him at the sale. Howard, Howard Belvoir saw something. Yeah, there. and the thing about Howard, he he's not really, he wins two-year-old races, but he really doesn't have that many of them in the barn. So like you say, the ones he does pick out, uh, he has a sensational uh, strike rate with them being very good horses. Yeah, he won a couple races with that Forever Gold as well, a fast horse. So he had five two-year-old wins, did Howard Belvoir. So, uh, yeah, Dutton, um, three for three, and uh, that Godstein was a little eventful, John. Uh, it looked like Coastal Kid was actually getting a neck to half length on him, and Dutton did kind of get a little competitive there at the end because uh, the Philly uh, was making a, a run at him as well, and uh, he ended up holding her off for second. So uh, you had to be a little bit impressed by his Godstein as well. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, visually, it appeared that maybe Dutton was going to get beat there. We don't know that for sure, because as you also mentioned, he, he had the opportunity to still get tired and get beat by the horse that was coming up the inside, and he didn't. Um, the fractions he set that day were just unbelievable, and we've seen other horses try that as two-year-olds and completely fall apart. And he was, obviously, he won the race, ended up officially winning the race, and um, that was a, a good finish by him after setting fractions that most horses would not would not last at all to be anywhere near the finish, much less win the race in the stretch. And as I mentioned earlier, I think if he can just slow down a little, relax a little bit and um, improve on his two-year-old um, numbers like he should as he grows into his three-year-old year, um, he's going to be very, very formidable. And we've had some very, very nice sprinters, um, you know, over the years, Baja Sur, and as you talked about, so yeah. lucky and some others as two-year-olds that are just really, really fast. And, you know, sometimes their three-year-old year isn't as good, but um, we'll hope this one, uh, comes back and is a little faster and a little more mature and can relax a little bit more. Yeah, Baja Sur, uh, 
just coming off that stakes win. Of course, he was two for two as a juvenile here before uh, just uh, getting the rest of the year off and two for two here last year. So uh, John Lindley joining us of Parker's. John, a couple of those uh, con uh, categories were really slam dunks, a little less talk, top older filly or mare, unmatchable top three-year-old male, daffodil sweet, top three-year-old filly, uh, time for gold, top juvenile filly. Uh, any ob other observations from the, the meet just concluded? Uh, probably could give you some time on this one. but uh, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think overall, in terms of speed figures and such, most of these, even though we kind of had an off year with maybe shippers, we had two shippers come into the Long Anchors Mile and they ran one, two in the race. You know, these horses ran legitimate races that were going to win any year. Um, unmockable, especially impressive, coming far, far back. And yeah. as you know, I even picked him once, which, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he just has no speed at all, but yeah. he did make that big move that he did and then, the, you know, uh, beat older horses later on and um, grind the sparks of glow and, um, uh, the horse that won the first race closing day to Marvelous Me, yeah. you know, tough, hard-knocking horses that have, we've seen again and again and again. And throughout the meet, we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot of horses that ran several times that have run in the past years and hopefully will come back next year. And I think that's something that's a testament to Northwest uh, trainers and owners is, you know, they give those horses the break. They get that winner off and they're running at age six, seven, eight, and nine. And even Howard's two-year-olds from a long, long time ago are still running. Um, running uh, Howard Belbert's two-year-old still running at Emerald Downs um, this last summer. And I think that's one of the more unique things relative to other parts of the country we have is we get to see these horses, you know, they get that break and we get to see them all spring and summer and they come back next year. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, uh, John, let's turn our attention to the Breeders' Cup this weekend. Uh, John has Majestic Eagle, who just ran a big second uh, down at Santa Anita. Congratulations on that, getting that horse back on track. And speaking of him, uh, he's pretty much got another race picked out from trainer Neil Drysdale. Yeah, so as we've talked about Majestic Eagle, he won the American Stakes last June in our first start, which completely uh, took us off guard and shocked me. And I was wondering, walking around in the days for about an hour after that <laughs> race. And it kind of hurt us, though, in a strange sort of a way, because he loses us all conditions then. And we had to find spots where he's running against grade one and grade two horses. And even though he wasn't quite that level, there really was nowhere else to run him. And going into this year, we were we had gelded him over the um, early early winter there. And we're looking forward to seeing him. And then, of course, COVID hit and a number of factors just kind of put him on a just not the perfect cycle for him. And we finally got him in a couple races. The last one being the Lure, where he ran second last week to a horse that had won the Queen, Queen's Plate um, last year. And so a, a much better effort from the perspective of seeing how he finished, even though his other efforts, he had some excuses. And, um, he had a new rider, Mara Gutierrez, rode him, and the guy who's won the Kentucky Derby twice, as everybody knows. And he seemed to get him in position early, which he had kind of fallen out of it in some of his other races. And those two factors are... Um, big positives for him, and we're going to run him the Sea Biscuit, which is Thanksgiving weekend. Last year he ran fourth in this race. I think he was only beaten two lengths, and hopefully this year he can improve on that. That's great. Uh, Majestic Eagle, owned by John and Ray Morton. Um, and what about the Breeders' Cup this week? Uh, it's kind of jumped right in there uh, the week after Emerald Downs concludes, but uh, I think you've had time to to browse a little bit. Yeah, I think you know as you know, and I know you've gone to several and. Vince also is is it's one of my favorite times of year. I mean, the Kentucky Derby I know is the premier race in horse racing, but for me, the season's over and you have one championship race after another. And this year, being in Kingland, there are no fans, as everybody knows. However, a couple notes: um, people may not know this. Kingland is a one mile and one sixteenth course. It is not a mile course, and that may have a little effect on the, some of the horses because they move that finish line. They also that flat mile race the the dirt mile starts pretty close to the turn mm -hmm. the other thing to note is keeneland did not race on the turf i believe for the last couple of weeks so we'll, even though their turf course kind of acted quick and speedy prior to that i think it'll be a little different one it's going to be firm from what i understand but it might be just a little different course than if you saw horses run their september or even early october because they've allowed it to grow out it had a lot of rain and supposedly drying out and they expect the firm so just keep that in mind when looking at horses that ran at keeneland's turf course earlier this summer but as you mentioned it's definitely a, a fun two-day event and um, we have all these europeans coming over this year a lot of them partly because it's on the east coast and partly because you know that turf racing offers a lot of money 
It's indeed. Do uh, you have a selection, early selection for the Breeders' Cup? Yeah, I think for for me, you know, one for each day, um, one of the races that is going to draw a lot of attention that always does is the juvenile filly race. This is um, on Friday the first time, and there's a horse in there called Princess Nor, who's undefeated, a Bob Baffert trained horse who's been bet down. I mean, they paid a lot of money for her, $1.3 million. Yeah. She appears to look like she's worth it, and not, no argument if she wins, but you know, from a speed figure perspective, she just seems a cut below some of these others in here. I mean, I don't, it'd be interesting to see what the betting does, but um, there's a horse in there named Day Out of the Office who also is undefeated, and they've spaced her races out perfectly. She has a really nice style. The distance shouldn't be any problem at all. Has excellent breeding on both the top and the bottom, as people may know, out of inch, um, into mischief out of an Indian Charlie Mare. Excellent tactical speed. All these positives there, and the fact that most likely Princess Moore is going to draw a lot of money leads me to look look to days days out of the office on this Friday. I thought she had a big shot there. Okay, that's the juvenile fillies. The eighth on Friday goes about twelve fifty Emerald Downs time, and day out of the office, trained by Timothy Ham uh, Junior Alvarado to ride. He's been up aboard her last two wins. Okay, how about Saturday? So as we talked about some European horses, and I know that you and I have talked about this before, a couple things to take into account is a lot of the horses in Europe are going to, you know, carried more weight in their more recent races and also get Lasix for the first time. So it's kind of interesting that a lot of them will drop weight, sometimes significantly. The other thing to be aware of is a lot of the horses that have been running in the U.S., and this will also apply for dirt races, are in the smaller fields. But in Europe, you can see some of these horses are running 16-horse fields. Now, the courses are all different. They have different types of, um, you know, shoots and straightaways and such. But just European turf racing is significantly different, and we've seen a lot of European horses dominate um, going into the Breeders' Cup. And in the mile-and-a-half um, turf race, and run right before the Classic, there's several European horses in there, as always, and Magical is going to be a big favorite. But I'm going to look at number 10, Mogul. This this horse didn't run in the arc for a, a few reasons. One of them was it was a very heavy surface, and he's one of these horses that looks like the mile and a half is just perfect for him. Magical has done okay at a mile and a half, but she looks a little, or I'm sorry, she looks a little better at slightly shorter distances. Although she's a deserving favorite there, but Mogul's done very. He seems to be getting better with every start, and comes off a nice good gap between his last race and this race. Trained by a guy who's won. I don't know how many races, a lot of Breeders' Cup races here. And it uh, will be a decent price there. And I think, you know, he's definitely a horse. He's a three-year-old, so, you know, might be up a little against it, but he does get a weight break because of that. I thought he was set up to, you know, run a huge race in that race. And I'm going to take a look at him. When I look at all the European horses, there's two things I want to look for. There's there's a meet, which everybody knows, called the Ascot meet in England in early June, and at the same time, Carrara in Ireland in mid to early June. And then, of course, the Longchamp beat early October. Those are the two or three top meets in Europe. So if you ran any of those days and did well, that's you know the type of horse that I want to go look at going towards the Breeders' Cup. So when looking at all turf horses, I kind of look for those two areas to see how horses did on those specific time frames because those are the where you know, the best is running against the best in Europe. Okay, Mogul. Uh is a four to one morning line aiden o'brien trainee is going to be number 10 on the outside post which isn't going to matter much going a mile and a half so uh vince he's owned by michael Tabor, Derek smith and john magnier uh mag how do you pronounce magnier this? magnier okay i should know that he's only he's only started about 300 breeders cup horses since uh, the 80s mrs john magnier uh, so mogul for John Lindley and day out of the office on Friday in the juvenile Philly. John, uh, thanks again for your outlook and a couple of uh, uh, ongoing trends in Breeders' Cups that uh, hopefully we'll keep in mind that will lead us to some winning selections because it doesn't take too many to hit on Breeders' Cup day to uh, make a profit for the two days. Got some good prices there. Thanks so much, John. Hey, uh, thank you, and both uh, Joe and Vince, both of you guys, when you, you did your TV show, Joe and Vince doing the morning line, did a great job this year. You had your hands full in a lot of cases, um, and, you know, I was listening to Joe on the TV a lot, and, of course, Vince with his morning line, the first time he's done it in a long time, and uh, I thought both of you guys did an outstanding job. 
Well, an assist to you for those uh, trip notes on the website yeah. that are invaluable when doing the morning line. So right back at you. And handicapping. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Thanks, John, so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, John Lindley, good good call there, Vince, at the end. The trip notes uh, at emeralddowns.com. That's a tradition and on our website, uh, free of charge to uh, aid in your handicapping. Let's go for a stat or two here, Vince, as we usually throw something out. I've done this one before, but... Uh, 10 to 1 winners were good this year. Why? Because field size was up 9%. Again, our field size was uh, our highest uh, since 2000. It hadn't been topped since 2008 when we had 7.7 a race. So field size up about 9%. And uh, 10 to 1 winners won 13% of the races, just under 13%. That's our highest figure since 2006. So um Odds on favorites, again, just over 50%, 39 out of 77. So it was some uh, wide open stuff out there. And that 15% superfecta uh, led to a lot of big superfecta payoffs this year as well. I had one, uh, Tim McKenna had a three-year-old abroad filly named Abra Jabra. And she ran well. I think she might have hit the board in every out at the meet, but she only won twice. And she won opening day and closing day. Yeah. So, uh We'll look for Abra Jabra on opening day of 2021. Yeah. Uh, Tim McKenna, who's number two all-time at Emerald Downs. Number one with training titles with 10. Frank Lucarelli closing in on that with his seventh. But uh, McKenna did win a couple on closing day there, didn't he? He did. He also had She Began Again, who had been uh, running great the last couple of years without winning. Well, she won authoritatively and uh, got off the schneid. Yeah, Tim with a double. Okay. Trivia. Last week's question was uh, Bill Tillett trained Harmony Creek, raced in the 1989 Super Derby right after winning the Long Acres Derby and then a week later running third as a three-year-old in the Long Acres Mile to the great Simply Majestic. Harmony Creek tried the Super Derby against Sunday Silence. Of course, Sunday Silence won that. But which Emerald Downs era horse has run in the Super Derby? And we had several correct answers on this. I think I know. I might know what it is, but go ahead. It, was it owned by Alan Sandy Kirkwood? No. Okay. How about Prime Engine in 2015? Oh yes, Dr. Mark DiDomenico's. Oh uh, yeah, I thought he ran in the Delta Jackpot. He did. He ran in that as well. Oh, okay, yeah. And then he ran in the Super Derby after he won our. He won our Godstein yeah. and then ran in the Delta Jackpot. That's he won right. our Derby and then ran in the Super Derby for trainer Mike Puich. I was thinking of Southern Africa, and I guess he didn't run down there, did he? Uh, he might have, and then you just you just blew my whole question up, if that's the case. But, oh, no, I don't but think But accuracy so. counts. He ran third. Didn't he run third in the mile one he, year? Or, he did. He yeah. ran third in the mile. Yeah. To no, uh, I'm flamethrowing Texan and Poppy Chulo. Yeah. No, I was and probably, he also ran in the Belmont Stakes, Southern that's Africa. That's right. Yeah, that's probably what I was thinking of, yeah. Okay, well, Prime Engine. Uh, Doug Whitehouse won the drawing, a couple other fellas, Warren, of course, and Russell both uh, had the right answer. But Doug Whitehouse wins on trivia this week with his answer of Prime Engine, who ran in the 2015 Super Derby. This week's question, and send your answers into trivia at emeralddowns.com. Who was the first Washington owner to win a Breeders' Cup race? The first Washington owner to win a Breeders' Cup race. As uh, actually... Uh, Bodenheimer is not owned by Washington people. Uh, Kristen and uh, the two names of the Bodenheimer people, once again, Val Lund's sister. Kristen Boyce. Kristen Boyce and uh, their mother, Kristen and Valerie's mother, is also a co-owner. Larry Romaine is the breeder. Yeah. Uh, Bodenheimer, as I'm fumbling around here with my sheet, uh, there it is. Kristen Boyce and Mary Lou Holden are the owners of Bodenheimer on Friday. Um, okay, how about some picks from us? Uh, Breeders' Cup. I'll go first here. Um, there's going to be a big favorite in the Juvenile, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, which is going to go on Friday. Jackie's Warrior, right? Yeah, he's going to be a big favorite. And uh, he's, uh, of course, a likely winner because he's undefeated. He's by McLean's Music. He's trained by Steve Asmussen, Joel Rosario. He's won at Churchill. He's won twice at Saratoga. He's won at Belmont. He just won the Champagne. He's won two grade ones. He goes to the front, and he's not threatened late. So uh, seven to five morning lines, pretty low in a 14-horse field. 
There's a horse called Sitting on Go in there, trained by Dale Romans. He's going to be post number nine, 12 to 1 morning line. He's by Brody's Cause. Brody's Cause won a grade one at two and a grade one at three. And uh, both route races, both important route races. Uh, Son of Giants Causeway, Brody's Cause. So he's good on that end. And the dam was a Turf Paradise Stakes winner. She's been okay production-wise. Corey Lannery got aboard sitting on go at Churchill Downs in the Iroquois on September 5th, a couple of months ago. And they won. They beat nine others. They won going away at 24 to 1. He also won his career debut, did sitting on go in a 5-8 sprint at Ellis Park from well off the pace. Uh, we could have a good pace in here. Again, Jackie's Warrior up front, but several that have shown a lot of speed and routes. So I'm going to go sitting on go. Dale Romans, Corey Lannery on the nine horse. Corey Lannery knows his way around those Kentucky tracks. I like it. I Yeah, I've got a... A Breeders' Cup angle I always look for, and that is Richard Mandela in the Breeders' mm -hmm. Cup. I was at Santa Anita in 93 when he won four races on Breeders' Cup Day, two Breeders' Cup races, and two undercard stakes. And I was there in 2003 where he won four Breeders' Cup races. Wow. And a lot of them at prices, too. And uh, so I always look at his horses. He you know, he obviously knows how to bring a horse up to the big big race Um He's got two in. He's got United, who almost pulled off a shocker in the turf last year. But in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint Race 5 on Saturday, he's got a 7-year-old named Bombard. This horse has never won a, a grade 1, let alone a grade 2. Uh, but he did run the race of his life uh, last time out at Kentucky Downs. And uh, he is fast, and uh, he seems to be peaking right now. So, again, Richard Mandela, very dangerous in the Breeders' Cup. So let's try Bombard at 15 to 1 on the morning line. He's number 10 in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. That's race 5 on Saturday. Okay, I'm going Friday, you're going Saturday. John has a pick for both days, and it's Breeders' Cup week in the world of thoroughbred racing. Yeah, I'm just going to say go Bodenheimer, and we'll talk to you all next week. Have a great Breeders' Cup, everybody.